Hello, greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line. My name is James White. It's Road Trip Dividing Line. In fact, I just realized almost all the light on me right now is sunlight reflecting off the back of another um, RV. It's same company as mine, and they tend to have very flat white back ends, and it's the sun's that way, it's that way. It's just like blinding me. I guess I could have pulled that shade, but oh well, here we are. We're on the road. I'm in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, I figure I can tell you where I am because, I mean, if there were bad people trying to track me down, um, they probably aren't watching this program, first of all, and secondly, by the time they get here, I'm going to be gone anyways. Um, It's funny, I'm getting to know all of the uh, KOAs uh, along the 40 and the 10, (laughs) and a few others that are not KOAs, but Uh, you know, KOA works, you know, it's always the same. And I like same, same is nice. Um, And when you're traveling, you don't get a lot of same. So I'll take what I can, I can, I can do. We were going to try out satellite connection today and it, it does work, but it has latency issues. You can get really super high speeds, but for continuous, uh, broadcasting or on our side, um, we'll have to keep tweaking that and seeing how how that works. Besides that, literally ten feet through this window is a five G uh, Wi Fi tower, so I'm getting irradiated here. I'll probably be dead by the end of the show. Um, but it's right there, so it's like might as well use that. So here we are on our way to uh, G3 in uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, looking forward to seeing everybody there to talk about the Bible. And um, I have been, I am preparing for the debate the next week uh, with Dr. Peter Van Cleek Jr. on the subject of, um, well, the Van Cleeks senior and junior have interesting views and uh, I've been listening to their books. I will have read four of their books by the time uh, the, well, probably by time I get to G3, I would assume, um, you know, there, there's a lot of similarities between their position and uh, Jeff Riddle and some others. Uh, but differences as well, and it'll be an interesting debate. I I listened to um, a smaller book that Van Cleek Jr. did. It's just basically a long the, – the only thing I can compare it to, I'll be honest with you, is to – it's our Ulhaq. No, we did not have a – I did not choke. And we did not have an internet hiccup. <laughs> it's al Haq, of course, is the Muslim apologetics book that was written by a an Indian Muslim scholar in the 1860s. And very, very important in, for example, uh, getting Ahmadidat to, to go into doing Dawah. Um, it, it fundamentally changed how Muslims around the world look at the Bible. And what the guy did is he just took all this negative stuff about the Bible from German rationalism and, and liberal theology and stuff like that and crammed it into one book. And this was Dr. Van Cleek's uh, book was, was basically a, a hyper-skeptical attack on all of textual criticism. And, I mean, the category errors, historical errors, just astonishing, uh, blew me away. But the thing that I'm just driving down the road, just sort of really getting frustrated with, is the text that he promotes was created by textual criticism. Couldn't exist without Erasmus practicing textual criticism. Now, Erasmus didn't do it consistently, Um but Erasmus did not use, did not use a methodology anywhere near, well, Van Cleek doesn't have a methodology outside of 
direct divine revelation as to what is scripture. You pray about it. So, you know, that'll come up. But I was, uh, I was really amazed, uh, to be honest with you, at um, how that played out. And um, so it's going to be an interesting debate. Very, very interesting. <laughs> it's going to be a long evening. I can tell. Anyway, uh, that's coming up in, um, I don't think, I'm not sure if we've even grabbed um, what uh, Chris has put together yet and put it up on the website or, and we should do that. Um, Yes, we should. (laughs) Uh, So professional here. Anyway, uh, that's coming up the week after. And then um, uh, I preached there at, at the church in Laysville, I think is what it's called. Um, and then I head for uh, Conway and Grace Bible Theological Seminary and be teaching church history uh, the following weekend, an intensive Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh, course. Really looking forward to that, though there's not near enough time uh, to cover everything. Like I said, uh the, the church that I've been teaching church history for, the uh, member last, it was last week, I believe, uh, Tobias Riemenschneider. <laughs> I heard somebody say Tobias Riemenschneider um, on a webcast. And I'm like, no, Tobias Riemenschneider. Um, uh, that's the same church. So the Frankfurt Declaration, he was central in putting the Frankfurt Declaration together. Same church that I've been teaching church history for, for a couple of years now. And um, we haven't gotten to the Council of Nicaea yet. <laughs> so uh, we're getting there. We're getting close. We're, we're right around the corner. We will finally get there. But I've got to get uh, almost 300 years past Nicaea, which means uh, Ephesus, Chalcedon, Constantinople, um, the and. The Antiochian school, the, 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 oh, there's just so much. It's complicated. Anyway, looking forward to that. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be great. Um, so that's, uh, that'll be the rest of this trip. And then uh, we're going to be heading in December, of course, to St. Charles. We'll be talking about the Trinity in light of current controversies. Um, that was their suggestion, not mine. And I'm more than willing to do that. So we'll be laying out a biblical case for the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, I'm a biblical Trinitarian. Um, And going to be speaking in Texas, uh, East Texas, on the way back um, that uh, following week, the second week in December as well. And then it looks like, just just right now, uh, there's something possibly going on in February um, possible debate in there. And then I know I'm supposed to be back in Texas again in May. So we'll see if, you know, you're still allowed to travel without the 47th Omicron booster shot. Um, you know, maybe they'll be injecting people from drones by then. Who knows? Um, the, the world has, the world is absolutely going crazy. And uh, some people are noticing it like this guy. Um, there's only one person that's going to watch this program that's going to know what that was. But just just for him. Anyhow, so um, saw the news this morning um, about grave concerns about the Queen's health. And so as I was driving uh, from Amarillo here, uh, news came. Um, I turned on Fox News in the truck so I could hear it. And you know, I've, I've I'm a little stunned. I, I I made one comment on Twitter, and there's just just these vile, nasty people um, out there that um, are spitting on the Queen's grave. I don't even understand it. I I, I blocked them all. I, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Just just go away. Um, I'm not. Stop following me. I'm not, I'm not interested. Um, 
I've got nothing for you. You know, about three or four years ago, I think, um, I remember watching the Queen's Christmas address. And I was just so thankful for the clear Christian testimony that she gave, the centrality of the cross and the work of Christ and um, all the things that went along with it. And of course, you know, she represented the the very end of that last age, uh, that last era, you know, the great generation, World War II, it's done, it's over with. And I could not help but think about the leadership we have in the world today, uh, not just in our nation, but in, in, in the vast majority of nations. And, and just, just thinking about duty and honor and self-sacrifice and, and self-control and uh, you, you compare the queen to someone like Nancy Pelosi and they're not even on the same planet. They're not even on the same planet. Um, I knew it was going to be a really sad day uh, because there's there's really no one coming along. Charles is a mess. Um, he really is. He's a globalist fruitcake nut, nutcase. Cheated on his first wife and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, royal royal consort and blah, blah, blah. Um, so we all knew it was coming. The, the, the dear lady was 96 years of age. She had survived COVID. That picture of her alone, masked up at her husband's funeral. Uh, that would have been enough for most people to have gone much faster, to be perfectly honest with you. But I remember back in 2016, the meme was going around. Instead of make America great again, it was uh, make America uh, British again. <laughs> I had a picture of the queen. And it was like, oh, yeah, I'd take her over either one of these two people any day. Um, so that, that does not mean that she was a roiling conservative. She, she really, politics, it's a figurehead position. It, it, it's not a political position. Um, it, it obviously once had a tremendous amount of authority. It doesn't anymore. She stayed out of a lot of that stuff and I just, uh, she finished well. I mean, good luck to any one of you uh, being under the microscope for 70 years. 70 years. Oh, my. Um, I see all these videos that people post of young people today that don't know. I, I saw one where they're asking young people about uh, what's the Holocaust? They didn't know. What's Auschwitz? Don't know. And I would imagine other than today, if you had asked a lot of people who the queen was when she became queen, they, they wouldn't have known. And they don't care. They don't. Connection to the past. That's, uh, that's the public education system for you designed, specifically designed, uh, to make a people much easier to, uh, to control because you don't know history, don't know what came before. Can't learn, can't learn when you don't know what came before. So my condolences to everyone in the United Kingdom and its protectorates and nations and Commonwealth and everything, you know, to, uh, to Colin Smith, um, who, you know, Colin, you did renounce fealty to the queen. So, um, there is that, but I think today it's okay to, to be sad, even though you, you did do that. Um, and I know, I know she was very sad about that. I'm sure, sure she was, but, uh, to all of my uh, British friends and 
And, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in London when I was still traveling the world. Um, wonderful, incredible city. And um, I never saw the Queen, but I went by, you know, a number of important places. Uh, so maybe I ran by once while she was looking out the window. Who knows? Um, but um, yeah, a, a major day, uh, a major, major day. No two ways about it. And um, again, if you uh, on Twitter are going to make some kind of comment uh, about, about the queen to me, uh, if, if you're looking for getting blocked, uh, that'll be a, that'll be a good way to do it. Really will be. Uh, I'll be happy to do that for you. Uh, if that's what you're, if you, if you need some Twitter martyrdom, we're good. Um, we'll, we'll take care of it. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's look at what, you know what I forgot to do? Uh, I, I got here just a little while ago. And like I said, I was trying to set up various things. Um, but I had uh, grabbed, well, I really can't. It probably wouldn't look all that good. I am very thankful that um, I had the opportunity. <laughs> My daughter was due on September 2nd. And I was due to leave September 6th. So I figured, okay, I mean enough time but that little booger decided he liked it in there and um so time's going by time's going by and i i figured when i went to bed monday night knowing i had to pull out tuesday morning uh that i was probably gonna not get to see the little 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 guy until i get back a month from now and um so he made his appearance on labor day and for some reason, my daughter does not think that's funny, but everybody else does, thinks it was appropriate to be in labor on Labor Day. Um, and uh, just under eight pounds, 20 inches long, Ransom Vance is his name. And already they're calling him Ran Van. Ransom Vance. Okay. <laughs> um. So I got a chance to go by uh, on my way out of town. I just routed myself a different direction and got to go by and hold the little booger and um, inform him he was very quiet, uh, sleeping. But I informed him um, of a number of things. Uh, but first thing I informed him of was that he was going to have four mommies because he has three older sisters, um, all of whom are more than six years older than he is. One is 12 years older than he is. <laughs> so they're, yeah. Mm. Now, he does have one older brother to sort of help, uh, but yeah, mm. Three older sisters, that much older than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be gonna be a challenge uh, for that little booger. And um, but it was great to hold my fifth grandchild. And I sent a picture to Jeff Neal, co-author of the same-sex controversy. We were chatting about other things, and uh, well. I, I had contacted him because a professor that he and I had both had at Grand Canyon College back in the day, Dr. Clark Youngblood, had gone to be with the Lord basically during my sermon on uh, Sunday evening. And um, we had known he was, he was going to have major heart surgery and it was dangerous and he did not survive. And, and so I was letting him know. And so we were exchanging pictures. He sent me pictures of his grandkids. I sent him pictures of my grandkids. And it's like, dude, we are really getting old, aren't we? We were, I don't know if I've told this story, but 
I look back on it now, I'm somewhat embarrassed, but he worked at Brian Christian Bookstore. There was a Brian Christian Bookstore right next to Grand Canyon College. And when I was building my library, I can't believe I did this. But I, I marched in there with the CBD flyer, the CBD catalog. You know, I think they still send it out. But it was a newsprint thing, big, huge, all these books. And I had all these books I wanted to get. And I basically sat down with the bookstore manager with, well, actually the bookstore manager had Jeff do it and say, can you beat him? That's not fair. I'm embarrassed. I did that now, but I did it. I was, that was what started my, my library long, long ago. There was no such thing as Kindle back then. Um, and, uh, that means your library looked a whole lot better than it does now. And, uh, but uh, yeah, Jeff and I knew each other when we were at um, Grand Canyon together. And he was a year ahead of me. And then for some reason he didn't start seminary at Fuller until a year after me. So I was a year ahead of him at Fuller. And so we went through a lot of stuff together. Um, he took Hebrew after I took Hebrew and <laughs> oh, the memories. Um, but uh, so we've known each other since we were both fairly young. And um, to now be exchanging pictures of our grandkids and stuff like that, it's, uh, it's good to have friends you've had for a long time. Because one thing I've learned is uh, you can think you've got friends, but it's the ones who stick with you that really are your friends. And uh, you, don't, you don't have many of them. You don't have many of them. And so you better you better uh, appreciate them while you've got them. Appreciate them while you've got them. So uh, little ransom is is now here, and uh, I'm going to have the uh, real privilege, and I do consider it very much privilege. Not sure why his wire is attacking me today, but um, things bounce around in the this poor little thing. Can you imagine what it's like to experience like? 20 earthquakes per day. <laughs> that's what that's what this thing has to do. Um, I am going to have the privilege when I get home uh, of uh, baptizing one of my grandkids. I've already baptized two of them upon profession of faith. And so there will be another baptism to perform when I get home, and I'm very much uh, looking forward uh, to that. And that is, a, of course, a, a great um, privilege. Uh, by the way, I have a continued, uh, it made sense to continue the baptism series at Apologia Church. Uh, we covered 1 Corinthians seven fourteen and uh, Mark chapter 10, suffer the little children to come unto me. Um, we did those texts uh, on Sunday night. If you've been following the baptism series, if that's of any assistance uh, to you, then that is available up there as well. So hopefully um, you can take a look at that. Um, let me um, just mention, just on a real practical level, hopefully a benefit to especially younger people who are uh, seeking to prepare yourself apologetically, be prepared to give an answer for the faith, uh, whether that be uh, to people who are part of false religions or simply to the wildly and angrily secular world that is all around us now. Um, there are certain texts of scripture that when you memorize them, you can, you, you can, utilize them in many different contexts. You may, uh, for example, when, when I memorized Isaiah 43.10 as a young person, the motivation for memorizing it, it's part of the 100-verse memorization system for dealing with Mormons, um, which I wrote, but I mean, so I, my initial context was dealing with uh, Mormonism. Now, that's perfectly fine. 
necessary if you live in Utah, you know. And the danger there is when you memorize the text of Scripture and you have a particular group in mind, it's probably even more important to make sure that you look at the context and realize that the the contextual meaning of the verse before you then make application to a particular group. So if you do go back and look at uh, my 100 verse memorization system for dealing with Mormons, you will see that my goal there was in providing those verses to let you know what the context and meaning of each one of those verses was. So you'd start there and then make application. The danger is when you memorize verses within a particular context, dealing with a particular group, but you don't really understand what the verse is saying as a whole. And we've always, that has always been a, a, a central aspect of my, uh, teaching and apologetics and and theology and everything else is starting with that sound contextual biblical basis and then making application as the need arises to whatever group it might be. That's why I remember uh, reading Isaiah 43.10, or maybe it was John 13.19, but reading one of the two, And when I realized what the connection between the two was, that Jesus was quoting the first portion of Isaiah 43.10 of himself in regards to his prediction of the betrayal of Judas and and thereby identifying himself as Yahweh and his knowledge of the future and all that other stuff. When I had memorized Isaiah 43.10, I had focused upon the end of the verse. I had memorized all of it. But when you're in Salt Lake City, when you're standing out in Mesa, you're mainly going to be quoting, you're, you know, when talking to a Mormon missionary or a group of Mormon missionaries, something like that, you're probably not going to quote the whole verse because by the time you get to the part you really want to get to, they've already moved on. So, before, you know, as God said in Isaiah 4 through 10, before me there was no God formed, there should be none after me. Well, there's something before that. Uh, you're, you're my servant who I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. That's the section that Jesus quotes of himself And that's why it's important to look at all of these texts in their actual context to see how they fit together and how they present to you um, divine truth. And so all of that is a really long (laughs) introduction. Hey, I drove a long ways there. Um, But I didn't drive nearly as far today as I did the last two days. And I, I mentioned the rich for the program starts. And this is a lot easier. Uh, it's it's nice to get where you're going and still feel like you're human. Um, and most of the rest of the legs are are about this length. I I don't know why I did it the other way. I could have left a day early, but if I had left a day earlier, I wouldn't have seen ransom. So there you go. Um, it all it all works out in God's sovereignty. All of that to say that there is a verse that I would highly recommend that you have memorized for many reasons. And you're familiar with it. We've talked about it recently, but it's Colossians 2.9. But there's a context, obviously, of Colossians 2.9. And everybody knows Colossians 2.8 as well. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him you have been filled, who is the head over all rule and authority, in whom you are also circumcised, the circumcision made without hands, and the removal of the body of the flesh, and the circumcision of Christ, etc., etc. Um just realized something. I, I want you all to see. I want you to stare at this window for a second because I'm not going to be in the camera for a second. Um, you might be able to still hear me. I'll sort of yell back there as I grab something. 
There we go. And you're back. And I think Jeffrey Rice would be unhappy with me if I didn't um, show you this. It has nothing to do with Colossians 2.8. Well, I guess in, in a way it does. But um, I am very, very thankful to have, notice the blue, the uh, blue stamping there. Um, no, this does not mean I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Uh, I'm not. If you know your colors, you know that orange and blue are optical opposites. And so that's strongest contrast. And I've just always loved that. And I asked Jeffrey months and months ago, I said, if I sent you an LSB block, you know, this block of text, um, could we find a, a buttery soft orange leather? And this is, this is as soft, yeah, it is as soft as my mom's red King James was. I still have that one too. And um, so this arrived last week. So I was, I, this is what I preached from on Sunday. And oh yeah, yeah smells wonderful. Uh, as, as normal, you see the uh, number of ribbons that uh, uh, Jeffrey always does. And uh, you may be wondering what it says. People were asking on Facebook when I posted pictures. Bebeatran uh, Logon is from Peter, the more sure word or the established word or the certain word, the grounded word is what's on the front with the Cairo and the Alpha and Omega around the Cairo, Cairo being the first two letters of the term Christ. Uh, and on the spine, uh, you have his uh, post tenebris lux logo. Oops, sorry. And um, it uh, it says, "Die Alton Basil Yuan." It is necessary that he reign from First Corinthians chapter fifteen. That he reign until his enemies have made a footstool under his feet. So, uh, once again, post tenebris lux comes through. Uh, Jeffrey Rice. Beautiful job. Uh, I have my Nessie Allen 28th over there. I think I still have my, yeah, I think that's my, I forgot to take out my um, NASB 77. There's no reason for me to drag that along with, I've got this here. But um, I have a number of my PTL rebinds with me. And um, so very thankful for uh, Jeffrey's uh, skill and craftsmanship in um and putting these uh, together. And uh, so I'll be preaching from that when I, I'll have that with me on the desk and the debate and uh, all the rest of that fun stuff. I may not bring it into Washington, DC because I've just seen too many videos about what goes on in all of these cities these days. Uh, it is it is amazing. All right, sorry for that. It, it crossed the mind and when you're my age, you, you, you act <laughs> because you're gonna forget it anyways. Uh, and I would have left it over there. Colossians 2.9. Um, in a day where man's philosophies uh, are taking many captive, the traditions of men taking many captive, the elementary principles of the world, man, um, that was probably a spiritual concept in Paul's context, but in our secular world, you could make some application there. The point being that all these things are not the standard. The standard is Christ. And the only way for Christ to be the standard is if he's something more than just simply an ancient religious teacher, which is what the vast majority of people in our society think he was. That's all they know. The day when you could actually assume some level of knowledge on the part of people in our society about Christian theology concerning Christ is long past us. And so when Paul says, don't be taken captive by these ways, rather than according to Christ. So all these things are not according to Christ. So Christ is the standard. All of man's philosophy, 
all of his traditions, all the elementary principles, they all are subject to the, the higher standard, which is Christ. That's an amazing statement to make. And in our day, to the secularly minded, secularly educated, brainwashed, uh, American, European, German, the idea that an ancient religious teacher who's been dead for over 2,000 years from their perspective, could it all be relevant to us, is, is just utter foolishness. And so it is in that context, the apostle says, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, that term deity is the term theotetos. It is different than theotes, which is found in Romans one twenty. The the King James translates both of them as Godhead um, and confuses things as a result. So I think the King James at Colossians 2.9, for in him all the uh, fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, or something along those lines. Most people have no idea what Godhead is supposed to mean. Um, but theatetos is that which makes God God, the, the very essence of God. And so Paul's assertion here is that the, the play Roma, the, the Gnostics had a whole concept, the play Roma. The, in Greek, ta play Roma tes theatetos, the fullness of deity, which I don't know if, the Gnostics had already developed this theology, or if this is almost prophetic. That, that's a, that, I've brought that up before. Paul's use of the language of the Gnostics. There are some who would argue, I think a mosquito got me. <laughs> there are some who would argue, I'm not used to that in Phoenix, okay? It's just, you go outside and these things flying around. Um, <laughs> amongst trees there's green trees and there's no irrigation it's amazing uh the the gnostics most most people don't believe that the gnostics had fully developed their theology by the time of paul well we don't know we don't have some kind of documentation to know but one thing is is for certain Gnosticism was the greatest challenge to the church in the first uh, 300 years of the church's history. And so it would not shock me and would certainly not be outside the paradigm of Scripture for Scripture to prepare the church even before that threat arises. I mean, Paul's dealing with a form of proto-Gnosticism here. We know that much. You can tell by the use of language. But he actually used that term pleroma, the fullness of deity dwells somatikos, bodily. Now, when you understand Gnosticism, you understand Greek dualism, um, the idea of anything having to do with the, with the pleroma, which is the, the fullness of, well, remember back when we were demonstrating that Ken Wilson's book is really silly? Uh, we, we talked about Gnosticism, Valentinian Gnosticism, and... Manichaeism. And it's extremely complicated. I'm not going to go back into that right now, but remember the play Roma had, and again, it depended on what kind of Gnosticism. It's not like there was a single systematic theology of the Gnostics, but it had these eons. The lowest of the eons was wisdom, Sophia. Remember that she had a demi-urge. She, she, she tried to contemplate the highest God separate from her male counterpart, and that caused her to become pregnant. And she gave birth to Yahweh, Yaldabaoth, in the term that they use. Um, anyway, it's really, really weird stuff. Uh, that's what the Pleroma is in, uh, in Gnostic language. And here it's being used by Paul, saying that in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. 
And if the emphasis in somaticos is bodily form, then that is like that is like slapping a Gnostic right across the face. Last thing they could ever believe. Because it seems like they were making room for Jesus. Gnosticism did that as, as it would roll along. It would make room for the various deities that it encountered. Because it really wasn't making a claim about objective truth. And if that's what they're doing with Jesus, then Paul's saying, you can't do that. Um, he is the fullness of deity in bodily form. So when you memorize this, first of all, just on a practical level, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, this is not one of the primary verses that they are accustomed to dealing with. I've heard they're starting to go door to door again. They must have just been dying during COVID. Um, because the vast majority of their group, their their growth has always been from their door-to-door encounters, uh, running into people that are hurting at that point. They've been they've had a falling out with their church. Man, I ran into so many situations like that in years past. Um, so when they stopped going door-to-door, sending letters to people, uh, that their numbers must have just crashed badly. Anyway, uh Jehovah's Witnesses don't spend, this is, they're used to hearing John 1.1. 1, 1, they're used to hearing John 10.30. They got memorized responses to all of them. This is not one of them they're used to hearing. And so when you can explain the text in its context, so you're not just going, well, this is just all about you. No, here's what it actually says positively. And say to a Jehovah's Witness, how could, How could Paul say that all the fullness of deity dwells in Christ, that that makes him the standard of all things, when you believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel, a created being? Uh, This is also relevant to Mormonism. Mormonism's polytheistic system cannot deal with the exalted status of Christ. But now today when dealing with the religion of secularism. And if you haven't caught how very religious the secular system is, sacraments and religious terminology and religious activity, and they are very, very religious. Uh, When you think on the authority systems within secularism, you can see how this is directly relevant again. So many times I find myself in conversation with those of the world now, and they're asking, why should I care about what this Jesus guy you're telling me about said? And I like to just go, well, because he left behind an empty grave, and he's the only person it ever has. He predicted it, then he rose from the dead, and he ascended into the presence of the Father, and he's going to come to judge living the dead. That sort of gives him the authority to say, yeah, God created man, male and female. And that trumps your Yale-trained gender studies PhD by a long shot. And so we, we need to have a, an answer to the secularist. Uh, who asks, why do you put such authority in the words of Christ? And I think Colossians 2.9, just if you're prepared to deal with Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormons, and secularists, and, and it's a nice short verse. It just flows off the tongue. And I don't suggest you memorize it in Greek unless you can read Greek. Uh, but it Rolls pretty well in either language and whatever translation you use um, in the assertion of the supremacy of Christ. So grab that one, memorize that one. There are lots of them. Uh, the 100-verse memorization system, and I, was there one for Jehovah's Witnesses too? I think there was. And I think there, I think if you put 100-verse into the search engine at aomin.org it'll pull up whatever is up there and whatever is um 
available to you. Um, okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Looking at the clock, looking at the various subjects here. Yeah. I'm not going to get this done, but I want to, want to, before it gets, people forget it. Um, remember the 1946 movie? I don't know why it's not out yet. Uh, that sort of tells me they're having problems fundraising. That's fine with me. Um, but we've warned you for a couple of years now about the 1946 movie. We've done numerous programs. We've in the big studio, used the big board to walk through the meaning of arsenicoites and uh, not only in, in Leviticus, but then look at Romans 1 and walk through 1 Timothy 1.10 and uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 and um, the consistent testimony of scripture regarding homosexuality and God's intention for mankind and, and things like that. And so when quote unquote scholars um, comment on this stuff who are fundamentally compromised, they they don't believe scripture is consistent with itself. They don't believe it's a consistent divine revelation. Um, they don't believe when Jesus said scripture cannot be broken. Um, they, they're embarrassed by Paul's interpretation of Old Testament passages. And, and that would be a, a majority, a majority of teaching professors in what are called seminaries academic institutions in the West today. I've told you over and over again, if you believe the scripture is theonustos, that it's consistent with itself, that it's God-breathed, that God has uh, preserved it for us, that then you are in a small minority. You're in a small minority. I, people tend to be converted in churches that believe stuff like that because they're actively involved in preaching the gospel and doing things like that. And so they just assume all Christians that that's a common belief, but you, you need to recognize you're in the minority if you believe those things. And that explains the lesbian uh, native American woman priest in the liberal church in the rainbow colored stole uh giving the supper of Skittles and seven up, um, you know, to her cat, her cat and her dog, because she's so inclusive. You know, that's sort of explains where that came from. Um, you don't believe when, when you don't believe that you can hear everything this says, and that there is a fundamental consistency from Genesis to Revelation, not a surface level consistency. It takes work. There are themes to be seen. There is that you know, as Peter put it, men can twist the scriptures to their own destruction. If it was just a simplistic little pamphlet with three little rules. You couldn't twist it to your own destruction, but you can twist this to your own destruction because God wants it to function in such a way that it is a light to our path. And not just ours, but to all believers down through the ages, which may well include many, 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 many believers in the future. And so, um, an article popped up. Let me see. Did, did it last edited September 4th? So this was uh, well, four days ago. Walter Brueggemann, How to Read the Bible on Homosexuality. And, of course, all the pro-homosexual sources were tweeting and retweeting. And as soon as I saw it, I'm just like, I know what that's going to say because there's nothing new. There's there's really nothing new under the sun. Um, 
I have read so many books from quote unquote progressives, leftist, non Bible believing people since 2001 when Jeff and I were working on that book on same sex controversy. And I've kept up with stuff. I've read dozens, literally dozens of books. Um, you know, a new one will come out. Oh, it looks like they got a new twist. Try to take a look at it. Yeah, it wasn't really a new twist. It was just a, you know, they, they took an old argument, stuck it in the microwave and, and, uh, you know, spray painted it, made it look a little nicer. But I knew what Brueggemann was going to be saying. Brueggemann is a progressivist. He does not believe in the consistency of scripture. Um, and in fact, in the article that everyone was promoting that he wrote, that's the fundamental issue. The, the fundamental essence, you know, he admits, yeah, Leviticus, pretty clear. Um, he skips Sodom and Gomorrah, tries to say Romans 1 really isn't all that clear. It is. There isn't a question about that. Doesn't really touch on 1 Corinthians 6, 9 or 1 Timothy 1, 10. Uh, but he, his, his assertion in the article is that the Bible speaks with many voices. And so what we need to do is, he says in the article, there is no way to put together those texts with these texts, where he takes these other texts, interprets them, again, outside of any consistency. You, you can't, you, you know, Paul is so plainly seeking to uh, honor the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, Ketamim, the, the law, the prophets, the dragons, as God's word. Um, and he, he, he assumes it. He draws from it. But not for these guys. They, they, they don't have any problem saying, I think Paul was wrong about that. And I think Paul contradicted himself here. And I think Paul developed over time and eventually he said this. And I think that takes precedent over that. Brueggemann has always just been the disintegrator. You, you take the text of scripture and you disintegrate it. You atomize it. You make it individual little texts that you can pit against other texts because there is no consistent biblical revelation. Brueggemann's commentary, I think on Genesis, I didn't, this broke after I left. And so I didn't get a chance to go to my office and scan my, you know what I need to have? Why haven't I thought about this? I took a picture of my church history section from my library before I left on this trip because I'm teaching church history. I should, it wouldn't take long. I should take high quality digital video of all my print library and just have it on my computer or my phone because then you can, and you go, oh, that's right. You know, because some things I don't know where they are, but my commentary section is well organized anyways. And I know what color the book was. You know how you know how this works. I know what color it is, where it is on the shelf, <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty sure it was on Genesis. Uh, this was in my Pentateuch class in seminary, and my professor was a PCUSA minister. They weren't nearly as liberal then as they are now, but they were liberal, and he was a great teacher. He really was a great teacher. Uh, way to my left, but I learned a lot from him. I learned how to um, take the good and get rid of the bad. But um, he assigned, we had, to, we had to write reviews of these five commentaries on the five books of Moses. And that's where I, that was where it was Gerhard von Rod's commentary on Deuteronomy was in that class. And that's the one where uh, the only positive comment that was an ugly mustard yellow colored one. Uh, the only positive comment that I had 
was that the binding was very nice. <laughs> you had to give your positives, your negatives, and interact with it. And the only positive I could come up with was the binding was very nice. I got a 98 on the review. Back then, as long as you know, the professor could tell, I read the book. And I interacted with the book. And so there you go. Uh, I don't think you get away with that anymore. Um, but who knows? There might still be some there that would allow that. Um, but I'm pretty sure Brueggemann's commentary on Genesis is what I had to read for that class. And it was just maddening. It was just maddening. There is a fundamental, absolutely fundamental, basic starting point difference that you must understand. It's the only... I just feel for Christians who would read this and they, they just, they, 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 I don't get it. What's he, what's he saying? Um, because he's setting the Bible. Um, uh, and here's, yeah, here. Other texts might be cited as well, but these are typical and representative. As often happens in scripture, we are left with texts in deep tension, if not in contradiction with each other. The work of reading the Bible responsibly is the process of adjudicating these texts that will not be fit together. So he, uh, big points that he makes. All interpretation filters the text through the interpreter's life. So there is no objective uh, truth that is communicated. Context is inescapably looms large in interpretation. No kidding. Uh, texts do not come to us one at a time. Yeah, they need to come as a as accepting all that God teaches. We are in a crisis of the other. Uh, so um, there are, to be sure, many reasons. New social reality, um, global trade, easier mobility. So he what he's what he's saying he's doing is he's he's woke. Um, the new thing emerging among us is a multi ethnic, multicultural, multiracial, multi gendered culture in which old privileges and positions of power are placed in deep jeopardy. So patriarchy and power, and he's influenced by Marxism. Um, why, why wouldn't you be? If you don't believe that scripture is consistent with itself, then you don't have a bulwark against them. Um, and he concludes with the gospel is not to be confused with the Bible, uh, because the Bible contradicts itself and... And so on, and so forth. so. How do you how do you get past the clear condemnations? The Bible contradicts itself. Up to you to choose which part of the Bible you're going to believe. So, standard revisionist stuff. Um, the fact that the the Apostle Paul would have screamed uh, at this kind of utter abuse of the text, not even not even addressed. But that's what you get in the vast majority of what calls itself the academy. There's no question about it. That's that explains all those women in the rainbow-colored stoles with those sermons you hear once in a while, and you go, "How? That's how. That's that's what they've been taught. That's what they've been taught. It's a mess." So if you saw that, as soon as I saw Walter Brueggemann, I knew I knew where that was going. And you should you should be aware of that uh, as well. So, all right, snuck a program in uh, even while traveling here, and uh, please continue to pray for safety in traveling. And so far, the weather's just been actually it's been really hot. Uh, I wouldn't mind it cooling off a little bit. It is uh, September, isn't it? But um, uh, weather's been good, so at least been bright and clear and dry and things like that. Lots of stuff coming up, lots of work to be doing between now and then as far as preparation and debate, teaching, all the rest of that kind of stuff. And um, uh, your support, of course, is also very much needed and appreciated as well. Don't know when we'll get back together again. I just sort of see when I get into the next park how I'm feeling uh, what kind of connection I've got and Rich and I just go from there sometimes stuff happens 
there's some issues I was going to address. We can get to at another point. Um, uh, and those things develop over time and just do the best we can while we're on the road. And uh, hopefully it's a blessing to you as well. So thanks for watching the program today. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see you again fairly soon. God bless.